David, David and Karen are very special to me. When, uh, and he said he has a servant's heart. Let me tell you, folks, when we were doing Mad City Church over at La Follette High School, I was in charge of setting up the chairs. And it was setting up 400 chairs every morning at, or every Sunday morning at 6.30 a.m. And David and Karen came to me and said, we, we want to be here helping you set up these chairs every Sunday. They came. Even if they, like, had something that day, they would be there at 6.30 a.m., and I never set up those chairs alone. And I, I just, David, I love you, and I love Karen forever for that. <laughs> so, uh, so the title of the message today is The Sting. Somebody was asking me what I was preaching on this week, and I told them that title, and they're like, what? <laughs> what is that? Well, the, a, a sting is a well-laid trap, so well-laid that the person that falls into it doesn't even know that they fell into it until after the fact. There is a kind of a famous movie from 1973 called The Sting. It, was, it won Best Picture that year. And, and it is the story of uh, Robert Redford has got this friend that gets killed by this vicious crime boss. And he wants to get back at him. And so he, he finds this guy named... Oh, well, it's Paul Newman, but he's named Henry Gondorf, and, and he's, a, he's a professional at stings. And so they set up this sting to, to get this crime boss uh, to fall into it, and um, Paul Newman works this thing to, he's got him so enraged that when Robert Redford offers a way for this crime boss to take down uh, Paul Newman, who's Henry Gondorf, he's like, I'll, I'll, do, you know, I'll do whatever, I, I have to take him down, and so they, they set this thing up, and he blindly walks into this trap, and the very place that he thought he was going to make this other guy uh, lead to his downfall, it, le it leads to his own downfall, and it's, it's a very complicated movie, but today, we are going to look at a story from the Old Testament that foreshadows the greatest sting in all of human history. So would you stand to me as we honor God's word and pray? Esther chapter 4, uh, 14 through 16. Here we go. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, 
I perish. Would you please pray with me? Lord, you have a word burning on your heart today. Would you speak? Would you speak to each heart? Would you speak to each life? Lord, would you give us that ISAB on our hearts that we would grasp what you are doing in the earth today and what you're doing in our individual lives. Lord, we love you, we thank you, and we trust you. Hide me behind the cross so that we can hear you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. 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 You may be seated. The sting. All right, so let's talk about what happened then. Last week, we talked about Cyrus's decree in 535 B.C. to come back and build the Jewish temple, and 50,000 Jews came back. But some Jews did not come back. Some Jews were in the Persian Empire and were still abroad. One of those um, was a woman named Hadassah, and her cousin, Mordecai, became her caretaker because while they were in captivity, both her parents uh, were, were died. And so Mordecai acted more like a, a father figure in her life, and he, he raised her. They lived in the capital city of Persia at that time named Susa, and Xerxes was king. He had become king in 486 B.C., and will rule until 465 B.C. So this is kind of the backdrop, the historical backdrop of the events that take place. So here's what happens in the story. Xerxes was very extravagant, and he had this huge feast, and people from all 127 provinces were were invited to come and he was displaying his wealth and and all that he owned and all that he had and um, in the middle of one of these feasts he calls for his wife Vashti and she's having a feast of her own and the queen's feast and he wants to show off her beauty. He, he wants to, to, to show her to all and, 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 uh, and she refuses to come. And so she ends up getting banished for life from the king's presence because of her defiance. And so now we've got a king without a queen. And so the advisors say, well, let's let's bring beautiful young virgin women from all over the the 127 provinces and and let's kind of have a beauty contest of sorts. And every every one will will come and they'll get one night with the king and the king decides which one is going to be the queen. And and so there's this... um, guy named Haggai who's in charge of all of the women that they have brought. And he, his job is to draw out the fullness of their beauty. And he, uh, he, he does 12 months of oil treatments and perfume treatments. And it's his job to make them beautiful. Haggai is an amazing type 
of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's role. He is the designated one from the king that is preparing a bride for Jesus one day. And um, this whole message was originally going to be about that, but we're going somewhere else. Anyway, uh, Hadassah is her Hebrew name. But her uncle Mordecai says, don't go by your Hebrew. Don't even let anybody know that you're a Jew. Go by the Greek name Esther. And so she's one of these virgins that's brought and um, every every bride, potential bride gets to choose whatever jewelry, whatever clothing they think will please the king. But there is a humility about Esther. And she purposes in her heart, I will only wear before the king what Haggai suggests. To contrast the defiance of Vashti that is unwilling to please the king to the eagerness of Esther and the humility that so wants to please that I'm only, my opinion doesn't matter. I'm going to go by whatever the king's advisor Recommends, and so she she wins the heart of the king. She becomes the queen. And shortly after she becomes queen, there are two guards in the court that make a conspiracy to kill Xerxes. Well, Mordecai, her cousin or uncle, finds out about this plot and reports it to Esther and Esther comes into Xerxes and says hey there is a plot to kill your life these are the two guys that are doing it and Mordecai the Jew is the one who reported it well Xerxes finds out yeah there really was a plot these two guys are executed and here's the important fact he has it written down in the king's book of remembrance that Mordecai was the one that had exposed this evil plot against him. Shortly after that, Xerxes decides to exalt a man named Haman to his right hand. He makes him his top advisor. And Haman is very filled with himself. And he is the honorable, and so he's made a rule that everybody, when he comes out, when he walks in, everybody has to bow down to him and give him the proper honor as he is the king's right-hand man. And so everybody does, except for Mordecai. Mordecai refuses to bow, and everybody's like, why aren't you bowing? You're going to get us, you're going to get in trouble. And he explains, I'm Jewish. We only worship God. We only bow down to God. And this just enrages Haman. And so he does a little research on it, and he finds out that it's not, the reason why he does it is because he's Jewish. And so Haman makes this plot. He says, it's too little to just kill Mordecai. I need to kill every Jew. And so he approaches Xerxes as the right-hand man and says there's this rebellious people that are dwelling among us and we need to get rid of them. They've got a long history of rebellion and I'll put the money into the pot to, to take care of them uh, to, for the king, for the sake of the king. And the king's like, hey, I'll, I'll pay for this. 
You do whatever you want to. And, and the king takes off his ring of authority and he gives it to Haman and says, make whatever decree you want to make. And so he rolls the dice that are called the purr. <laughs> Somebody's talking to me somewhere. I can hear them. And, uh, and it comes to the, the 13th day of the 12th month, the month of Adar. And he says, and he makes a decree, and he says, this is the decree of the king. In the king's name, with the king's authority, cannot be revoked according to Persian and Median law. That on the 13th day of the 12th month, that everybody is to take up arms against the Jews in whatever province they're in and, and destroy them. And so this decree goes out all over the land, and wherever it goes, there's much sadness and much mourning and much confusion among the Jews of why this would be. And Mordecai gets this and immediately tears his robe and clothes himself with dust cloth and ashes, and, and no one can comfort him. And Esther finds out about what he's doing. He's like, find out what's wrong with him. And so they go and they find out to, from uh, uh, Mordecai and they report back to Esther and they tell her about the decree. And Mordecai makes this request, do something. You need to do something because all of the people are at jeopardy, all of the Jewish people. And Esther writes back to him, and says, I would love to do something, but I can't. The king, it, it, the, there is a law that says if you approach the king without him first summoning you, you, you die. I can't come to him. I haven't been summoned by him in 30 days. It will result in my death. She says there is one exception. If the king raises his scepter of favor, you are spared, even though you came into his presence without being summoned. So she sends this back to Mordecai. I'd love to help you. I feel horrible about it, but I, I just can't. And so our text is Mordecai's response to her and says, listen, Esther, if you, if you decide to do nothing, God will still save the Jewish people. God has promised to save the Jewish people. And you and your family will perish. But he says this, consider this, Esther. Consider the possibility that the reason why you became the queen, the reason why you have this royal position is for such a time as this. What if this was all in the wisdom and the foreknowledge of God to place you where he placed you? And so she writes back and says, I'll tell you what, you, got, you get everybody you can to fast and pray for me. I will fast and pray myself. And in three days, I will go before the king. And if I perish, I perish. So she goes before the king on the big day. And Xerxes' heart is moved. And he raises the scepter of favor. He doesn't just raise the scepter of favor. He says this to Esther. She's just come into his presence unsummoned. It's supposed to be death. Here's what he says instead. He raises the scepter of favor. And he says, honey, 
You ask whatever you want up to half the kingdom, and I'll give it to you right now. And she says, I, I want to have a banquet for you and Haman. And he says, let's get it on the schedule. So that night they meet and it's a, it's a, it's a banquet that Esther has prepared just for the king and Haman. And they have this sumptuous feast and the king's like, okay, Esther, what is it that you want? And she says, just this, to have another banquet tomorrow night with just you and Haman. King is like, women, they confuse me. Anyway, um, (laughs) so that, okay, we'll do another banquet tomorrow night. So Haman is leaving And he, he goes back home, and he says this to his family. He's got his wife and his sons gathered, and he says, he says, oh, who has been blessed the way I have been blessed? I've, I, I'm the king's right-hand man. There's nobody that's more favored than me, and I've got, I've got all these sons. I've got all this wealth. I've got all of these blessings. But he said, but I can't enjoy any of it. He said, I was on my way back. He said, now Esther has treated me as the most favored. And I've got this banquet and banquet tomorrow, but I can't enjoy any of it. On my way out tonight, I walk past and everybody bowed down except that Mordecai. And I can't enjoy anything until he's dealt with. And they're like, well, make a gallows. Make a gallows and hang Mordecai. Go ask the king. The king will give you Mordecai. And so he makes these gallows 75 feet high. He is going to hang him on. He's going to make a statement. He just, he, so he spends the whole night making these gallows and orchestrating this. And then early in the morning, he goes, he goes to ask this request of the king to, to, to give Mordecai to be killed. Well, here's what's going on in the palace. King can't sleep. Trying to, just can't sleep. He wakes up in the middle of the night and he says, I need, the, I need my book of remembrance brought to me. And he's reading the book of remembrance and he reads about Mordecai and how Mordecai saved him um, from these two guards. And he, he asks uh, his, his assistants, what was ever done for Mordecai for saving me? And they're like, you never did anything, king. And so he is pondering this. And there's a knock at the door. Come in. It's Haman. Haman is about to request Mordecai's life. But before Haman can say anything, the king says this. Haman, I am so happy to see you. I I have got a puzzling question right now. I have been pondering. And he said this, Haman, what should be done for the man the king wants to honor? And Haman has a little talk within himself. Who who would the king want to honor more than me? (laughs) And so he's figuring out what could be done for him. And he's like, well, 
Here's what you should do for the man the, the king wants to honor. He says, you should have a parade. And you should have this man ride on the king's horse. And, and, and everybody that, that, goes, that he goes past should be bowing down to him. And, and your top officials should lead this horse and say, and just proclaim in the streets, this is what's done to the man the king wants to honor. And, and Xerxes is just so pleased with this answer. He goes, mm, boy, you, you nailed it. And then he just says this kind of off cuff. Go do this for Mordecai the Jew. <laughs> By the way, buddy, what did you want to, why were you coming in here? Oh, not, nothing, nothing, nothing. So the very one that refused to bow down to him. He now has to not just bow down to, but lead through the streets. It's the ultimate humiliation. And he goes back and he tells his family and his family's like, oh boy, this, this is not, this is not good. This is the beginning of your downfall. And just then the king's chariot comes to pick him up for tonight's banquet. And the king says one more time, Esther, please, please tell me, what do you want? And Esther says, oh, king, live forever. If this was anything less than my life, I would not bother you. But my life is in jeopardy because of this evil man, Haman, who's made a plot against me and against my people. And he is so, the king is so enraged, he walks out of the room and Haman gets down and starts getting very close to Esther and and the king comes back in and sees him, in his mind, assaulting Esther and he's like, he's like, okay, that's it. I'm just beyond myself. And somebody comes and says, hey, Haman just made this 75-foot gallows to hang Mordecai on, why don't you hang Haman on it? He's like, done, hang him. Go, go hang, go hang him. So then Esther comes and says, King, it's not enough that Haman has been dealt with. You need to take back this decree over my people to kill my people on the, t- the 12th month, the 13th day of Adar. And he's, he says, I, I, I can't. This is an irrevocable law. The, what, what I can do is you could make a new decree. You could make a new decree. And so he takes Haman's ring of authority and he gives it to Mordecai. And Mordecai makes a new decree. And here's the new decree. On the 13th day of the 12th months of Adar, the Jews can arm themselves and protect themselves. And if anybody attacks them, they can destroy them. And the couriers took this new decree and went out and wherever it went, there was joy and gladness among the Jews. And then it says this, and the fear of Mordecai came on all 127 provinces. And the very day the Jews were supposed to be destroyed, all of the Jews' enemies were destroyed. And so today in Israel, they still celebrate Purim. Remember the Pur is the, is the, is the dice. And Purim is the day they celebrate God's deliverance of the Jewish people. 
So that's what happened in history. So let's talk about point two. What happened on the cross? Haman is a picture of Satan. Mordecai foreshadows Jesus. In the wilderness temptation, Satan says to Jesus, bow down and worship me, and I will give you all, all of the realms of this earth, for it has been given to me. It's really important that we understand what happened in the Garden of Eden. God had literally given the authority of this planet to Adam and Eve. He gave them dominion. His dominion was given to human beings. They had authority over this world. And when they sinned, they gave that authority to the one that deceived them. Satan is called the God of this world, the prince of this world. Why? Because Adam and Eve gave him the authority that was theirs. He gave it to him, and he is now the prince of darkness that rules over darkness. And he is, it's called a temptation. He has them to give. He says, bow down and worship me, and I will give you the rule of the nations. And Jesus says this. It is written, you shall worship the Lord and him only do you bow down to and serve. And he is enraged. He leaves him to find another time. And then we have this description of Jesus' ministry in Luke 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus as a man. Jesus anointed by the Spirit as a man. And he went about doing good, healing all those who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And just boom, every trap the enemy had made, Jesus comes and it, with a word, with a touch, springs them and breaks all the powers of hell, all the sickness of hell, all the fear of hell. Everywhere Jesus goes, people are going free. They are being released. I think specifically of Luke 13 with the woman bent over and she, he comes into the synagogue says, woman, stand up. And they're mad because it's on a Sabbath. And Jesus said this, should not this daughter of Abraham who Satan has bound these 18 long years should she not be released on the day of the Sabbath and everywhere Jesus goes people are going free and all of the devil's tricks and, and, and schemes and oppressions and the rage of Satan rises you can hear it in, in the rulers. In the, the, the rulers get together, those who have positions of power. You can hear Satan's voice when they say, we have to kill him. Or the, the whole world will eventually follow him. We have to kill him. And then finally in Luke 22, it says that Satan himself entered 
Judas Iscariot performed the betrayal. We hear the voice of darkness mocking him as he hangs on the cross. Certainly, certainly hell believes it has won over the prince of glory that refused to bow down. But it turns out the whole thing was all planned beforehand and it was a sting operation. Satan walked right into the trap that was laid for him before the foundation of the world. 1 Corinthians 2, 7 and 8 says this, we declare God's wisdom a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. On the cross, the rulers of this age, not the human rulers, the demonic rulers, lost everything on the cross. Look at Colossians 2.15. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through the cross. Satan lost his authority. The the authority God had given to mankind that he had given to Satan. Jesus became a man, lived a perfect life. And on the cross, he bore our sins. He rose from the dead on the third day. And then he said, he came, he appeared to his disciples. He said, all authority in heaven, which he already had, and on earth is given to me. Now go Go and make disciples, and I will be with you. I will be with you. My authority will be with you everywhere you go. The great sting of the cross, and people have asked the question, well, why didn't the devil know? Why? Satan can read. We know he knows Scripture. He quotes Scripture to Jesus. Why, why couldn't he grasp the cross. Why couldn't he grasp what was going on? And the best answer to that that I've ever heard was in the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> the, the council has gathered of what are they going to do with this ring of power that has been forged by Sauron. And Boromir says... Well, duh, you use it. We use, we use this ring of power against him. And Gandalf, the wise, says, Boromir, whoever uses this ring of power is eventually going, because it was forged in evil, is going to become evil. We will start out trying to use it for good reasons, and we will end up becoming the new Sauron. This ring must be destroyed. And they decide that the hobbit, Bilbo, is going to take it to Mordor, right under Sauron's nose, to put it in the crack of doom where it, it can be destroyed. And Boromir is just incensed. Sauron's eye is looking over the whole world for this ring. Why would we, why would we bring it right to his doorstep? This is insane. This is ridiculous. And Gandalf says this back. He says, all that Sauron can imagine 
is what he would do if he had the power. The idea that someone would have the power and freely lay it down will not be able to come into his mind. The only place he's not looking is right at his doorstep. Satan can't understand love. He can't understand what Jesus having the power, having the glory in his hands, in his words, that he would lay his life down freely. He understands power, but he doesn't understand love. Jesus laid his life down in perfect love for you and me to win back authority for the human race. But here's the problem. It wasn't enough. It wasn't enough because there was still a decree hanging over the human race. The wages of sin is death. God is holy. His laws can't be revoked. He can't change. He can't say, okay, we're, you know, that's off now. The wages of sin is still death. He had to make a second decree. And here's the second decree. He that believes will live. The morning I worked on this was Wednesday morning. Here's Romans 1. Romans 1 was that morning. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. Those who have been declared righteous by faith now need to live by faith. There is a righteousness, a right standing before God that is apart from the law. It is apart from what we have earned for ourselves. God now has made a second decree that takes away the power of the first decree. So, here's my last point. God's proposal today. So I love to do weddings. And the reason why is because engagement is the perfect picture of what's happening on this earth today. That God right now is proposing to the human race. Jesus says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him. And this is God's proposal. God loves human beings and he's knocking. He's knocking on people's doors and he's saying, I love you. I want you to be mine. This is the great invitation today. The, the great marriage text, Ephesians 5, 31, quotes it from Genesis 2. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And Paul says, this is a great mystery, but I'm speaking of the, the relationship of Christ and the church. The two are going to become one. It's wrong to think that we're all brides, that Jesus is going to have all these brides, and I, I individually am the bride of Christ. No, no, you're a favored son, and you're a favored daughter, but you're not, you're not the bride. He's only got one bride. 
We together are the bride. This is why unity is so important. Jesus is coming back for one bride. The two, Jesus is one, we're the other, are going to become one. And today he's proposing. So here, whenever, whenever somebody asks me to do their wedding and, and it's possible for me to do it, I will always tell them up front, it's fine, but I will preach the gospel at your wedding. I will preach the gospel. Here's why. Here's why. People oftentimes think that God is not interested in them because they don't go to church or because they're horrible sinners or because they live in shame and they've got regret or because they've been abused or that something has happened in their life either to them or that they themselves have done that has made God uninterested in them, that God kind of likes religious people. He likes a certain type of person, and I'm not that type of person, and therefore, this doesn't really have anything to do with me. And the only reason I'm at this church is because somebody's getting married that I, that I love. When I was in Belize, I was trying to explain God's feeling, and I took a, I took a $20 bill, and I held it up for the people, and I said, you know, how much is this worth? And of course, it's, it's $20. And then I put it on the ground, and I started jumping on it, and, and then and got a huge footprint on it and raised it up. And I said, how much is it worth now? And everybody's like, $20. And then I crushed it all up and, and spit on it and <laughs> threw, it, threw it over there. And, and uh, I go over and find it, and get up and I said, well, how much do you think it's worth now? And everybody, everybody just gets it. It's $20. $20. See, here's, here's the problem. When we have things done to us where other people step on us, other people demean us, other people devalue us, things happen so bad to us, it makes us feel devalued. And people will tell you that you're devalued. Or Sometimes even worse, we do things to ourselves. We sin. We do shameful acts. We, we, we crush ourselves. And we get in a place where we, we feel so devalued that we just assume that maybe God would have liked a better version of me, but he's not interested in this one. Here's what you need to know, because it's true. God can never love you less. It, he never loves you less. It doesn't matter what's been done to you. It doesn't matter what abuse has been done, what's been spoken over you. And it doesn't matter what you've done to yourself. It doesn't matter how you've sinned. It doesn't matter whether you've been faithful at church or whether you d do this, this, or the other thing. God's love for you is without condition. It is a huge mistake to think God is not interested in you or God is done with you. God is proposing to you. But, but to accept the gospel, you need to understand two things in the story of Esther. We are all Vashti. We have all defied him. We have all sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone has defied God. Everybody has got a banished sentence. The wages of sin is death, and death in the Bible is separation from God. 
Everybody, if you got what you deserved, if I got what I deserved, we would be banished from his presence forever. But we're not just Vashti. We're also called to be Esther. We are dark but lovely, Song of Songs 1.5. And he is proposing to us. He wants to make us the engaged bride. The wedding feast is coming. The engagement is right now. In 1990, my dad was dying of cancer. And my dad and I were just like this, especially when I became a Christian. And he had very philosophical ideas. He was a very smart man, very well read. And he just felt like I was too narrow. I was too, the idea that there was only one way and it was just offensive to him. And so we would just go like this. And of course, with him dying, I'm very concerned. Especially because I know I'm not the one that's going to be able to talk to him. And I, one day I'm doing my devotions and I read 2 Samuel 14, 14. It became a life verse instantly. Here's, Here's the verse. Like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die. But that is not what God desires. Rather, he devises ways so that a banished person does not remain banished from him. And what the Lord spoke to me is, the cancer's not from me. I, I don't cause cancer to, to kill people. That's not, that's not what I do. The Bible says the devil is the one that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. Don't mix that up, folks. Don't blame God for something God didn't even do. But the Lord said, I'm going to use it. I'm going to use it. What happened is the cancer got into my dad's brain, and he, his brain was like Swiss cheese, and he became very, very simple. Four days before he died, he was, he was at home. We, was, we were doing hospice. We all took shifts, and we had to, the bed was right in our living room, and, and each of my siblings would take a shift, and Katie was with him. Katie is this burning Christian for Jesus, and dad was, it was the middle of the night, and he, could, he just was wrestling. He, Katie said it was like a wrestling match, and he yells out in the middle of the night, all right. And he, she's right there. And he says this, what's the barrier to Jesus? And he share, she shares the simple gospel and says, Dad, I'm going to pray a prayer. And if you, if you want to pray, you just pray it in your own heart after me, after, after me. And she prays the sinner's prayer and, and he squeezes her hand. She said he slept perfectly the rest of the night. I didn't know anything about this. Sunday night, we're at the church prayer meeting down here. It was Madison Gospel Tabernacle time. I'm down at the church prayer meeting. I'm trying to pray for my dad. I can't pray for my dad. Joy just keeps coming up. Every time I go to pray for him, joy. And I come on Monday morning, and Katie tells me the story, and she, and she said, Tom, it, it, Tommy, do you think it's that easy? Is it possible that it's that easy? And I told her my story, and... Why is it that easy? Because the new decree reverses everything the enemy has done. And in just a moment, those that believe what Christ has done for us is stunning. And we immediately, on believing, get his righteousness 
as a gift rather than the death that we deserved. Our banishment is over. God devises ways for people to come to him. I've got a dear friend who is working through her own healing, her own wounds, her own fears. And just this last week, I asked her if I could share this. Her sister-in-law was dying of cancer, and she was, there was family all around. This is so counter who she is. But she got in close, even with family around. And her sister-in-law is at the place she couldn't speak anymore. But she could, she could understand. And she said, let me tell you how it is. Jesus love you, loves you. Jesus died for you. You've sinned. But Jesus wants to forgive you. And he wants to bring you to himself. She said, if you want this, I want you to just nod your head right now. And she said, her sister-in-law. <laughs> and she prayed the sinner's prayer. And the new decree trumped all of the death, all of the banishment, all of the shame in just a moment. This last Thursday, Pastor Danny from India had a horrible, horrible fire in his house. A gas line blew up and um, his house, his car, four houses around were all destroyed immediately. They... They, didn't, they said he was going to be in the hospital for six months if he lived. Everything was over. All of his computers, all, everything that he owned was destroyed in the fire. And he was at the point of death. And on the fourth day in the hospital, an angel of God appeared to him. And I'm not going to tell any more of the story because he told me this Thursday morning. He's crying as he's telling me. I'm like, Pastor Danny, could you... Because he's leaving back for India on Monday. And I'm like, bro, is there any way you could tell your story at our church this Sunday night? And he said, it would be an honor. So tonight... Tonight is Pastor Danny. We're just going to worship and have Pastor Danny give us. He's got the... He's got the pictures of the burn, the pictures of the healing... He didn't get a picture of the angel. <laughs> so, but it, it's a stunning story. But listen to this. Eight Muslims in his neighborhood, and these are Hamas Muslims. These are, this is the most militant Muslims. Eight Muslims in his neighborhood came to Christ Amen. and now attend his church. The two cosmetologists that work on, worked on him now come to his church. God didn't make anything blow up. That was the enemy. But God is using it. What was it going to take to win Muslims? What does it take to win a militant Muslim? God has devised ways to save people. We had an elder in our church pray this at the last one. God... God, you're not, you're not calling us to be fearless. You're calling us to be courageous. And I, something just, oh my, that's, that's, that's the truth. See, Esther's not fearless. Esther thinks she's probably going to die. She is afraid she will die. She says, pray for me though. Even though I'm afraid I might die, I'm going to do what's right, even though I'm afraid. 
I'm going to step up. I'm going to step up to my destiny even if I die. And because of what Esther did, the Jews were saved. See, folks, for such a time as this, you are alive. For such a time, that, it says in Acts 17, God chose when you would live. He chose where you would live. For such a time as this, it's not coincidence you're here. It's not coincidence you have that job and that you're with this family. This has all been preordained. For such a time as this, God has given us authority. The only way you can understand your life is to understand God is concerned about you, but he's concerned about not just you, everybody. Joseph said, listen, what happened to me, you guys meant for evil for me. But God planned it for good for the saving of many lives. Folks, this is what's happening on planet Earth today. The people you don't like, the people that are mean to you, the people that are atheists, God is proposing to them. God is knocking. He's knocking through beauty. He's knocking through pain. He's knocking through sins that they can't get out of themselves. He is saying again and again and again, you need a savior. You need a savior. You need a savior. And I love you. There is a savior. And he's raising you and I up. Not to be fearless. It's, it's hard to live in this world. But to be courageous. And see, without Mordecai, there is no Esther. Esther had already said, I can't do it. And Mordecai called her up to his destiny, her destiny. Do you know the gift of encouragement? It gives you courage. We, we all need Mordecai's. We all need, really, that's what my whole ministry is, really. I'm Mordecai. You're all Esther. I'm Mordecai. I, I, I want to encourage you to walk in your destiny, to not let fear dominate your life. We're, we're, we all need to be Mordecai's to one another. We need to call each other up. We need to pray and fast for each other that you will not let fear determine your life, but that you will rise up and be all that God made you to be. We all need to be Mordecai, and we, we are all Esther. We, we are all Esther. We all have a destiny that's, that, that, that God wants to use for the saving of many lives. Can we bow our heads? Worship team can come. If you're here today and you know you're Vashti, you, you know that you've sinned, you know that you've been banished from God's presence and whatever religion you have, You've not had that personal relationship with Christ that David was talking about. You can have all kinds of religion and all kinds of Bible knowledge, but, but no, you don't have that personal relationship. Well, I've got good news for you today because you're not just Vashti. You are also beautiful to the king. You are dark but lovely. He paid the highest price to have you back. He paid his own life. And today he's calling you. He's knocking at the door. And if anyone opens that door and puts their trust in him, the new decree of eternal life becomes good over them. If that is you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, because this is between you and God for it to be real. But I do like to pray for people. I like to help people open their door because somebody helped me. So if that is you, Jesus is knocking, and you want to open the door today. Would you just raise your hand real high long enough for me to see it? I see that hand. God bless you. 
And I see that hand and that hand and that hand. God bless you. I see that hand over there. God bless you. Anybody else by upraised hand? We're going to pray in just a moment. I got you, bro. God bless you. If you raised your hand, would you just put your hand over your heart right now and pray something like this in your own words? Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for knocking on my heart. Thank you for proposing to me and calling me great value, even though I, I've messed up so many times and in so many ways. Jesus, would you come into my heart? I'm opening the door by faith right now. Would you come in? Would you wash me? Would you clean me? I receive this gift of eternal life that the new decree gives me. I receive it according to your promise and great love in Jesus' name. Amen. Woohoo! And then if we could stand together, I'd just like everybody else, actually everybody, if, if you're comfortable doing this, just to open your hands before the Lord. Lord, there is an army in this place right now. For such a time as this, we're alive. Lord, there's not a person in here that doesn't know what it is to give in to fear, to give in to apathy, and to just say, hey, I'd like to do something, but I, you know, I really can. And there's always a reason why we can't do something. And it's usually got something to do with fear. And Lord, we don't want to let fear direct our lives. We want to be courageous for such a time as this. We are not here by chance. You, you have saved us. You have anointed us. You have placed us. Now, Lord, eternal destinies are all around us. Would you give us courage to obey you even when we're afraid? to speak to people, to pray for people, to love people, to do uncomfortable things for us just because we feel like you're asking us to do it. And Lord, I believe in this very hour, you want to unlock the favor of heaven. You want to unlock your, you are extending a scepter of favor to your people. You're saying, I, you just start asking, I'm going to reveal myself in great, great glory. So, Lord, would you do that for your glory, for our good? And, Lord, this morning we're really saying for the good of all those around us that you love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great day.